listening to episode 7 of season 2 of Partnerships and Possibilities, a podcast on leadership. In this episode, our changing views of change. Hi, I'm Sharon. And I'm Diana. And we're going to be talking about leadership in organizations. Leadership in organization happens at all levels and takes many forms. Sharon, I'm really excited. Um, tonight, we're going to have a chance to uh, visit again with Glinda Oyang, who's the founder of the HSD Institute. And, right, right. Uh, we've both been through the program, that program in human systems dynamics with her, and um, she's going to be in Portland this week to do some things, and we're going to have a get-together this evening. And, and that, that reminds me um, of just how much our ideas about how we do organizational change are changing. Yeah, they are, aren't they? Our changing views of change, right? Yeah. Yeah. And um, I noticed in in the latest edition of Harvard Business Review, John Cotter is now saying, well, maybe my ideas weren't exactly right for this kind of what we've been calling and a lot of other people call a VUCA world, volatile, uncertain complex and ambiguous, right? So I'm glad you remembered all of those. <laughs> I, I actually <laughs> talked about that a few times. And, um, you know, that, that this kind of world where there are disruptive technologies and where the marketplace is changing, and, you know, there's been a lot written lately, at least that I've seen, about the way the Internet now enables customers to be much more in charge of the marketplace than they have ever been before. Of and, you know, just all the various ways that things can change so quickly. Right. And even in the, you know, that, that a long-term, well-planned organizational change initiative is unlikely to proceed along, you know, the lines of a couple of years without hitting some significant bumps along the way and and significant new information coming into play. And I think that's, you know, so Cotter is now um, looking at how his ideas might shift on that. But I think, and I think there are even further things to consider in this, in right. this area. Yeah, so so in Cotter's latest article, I guess it was back a month or two ago, mm-hmm. and towards the end of um, 2012, he had written an article about um, adding, a, in essence, a parallel system to the um, day-to-day operating system. And um, um, it was interesting to see that the response to that that a number of people wrote in and really challenged that as still being grounded in fundamentally incremental thinking. Mm-hmm. That it was still it still comes out of a um, fundamental set of assumptions about change being a more linear and predictable and manageable process versus someone like Glenda's view of change as being. Um, um, a much more emergent process. Right. And, um, I, I mean, I find myself sometimes being caught in that because to really 
except that the world and change is emergent is to accept a kind of um, stance, I think, that says, <laughs> I really can't know the future, right. and I really can't do right. a whole lot to prepare for it. Right. Um, and that makes people, including me sometimes, uncomfortable. Right. Well, I think what it does is it emphasizes so much more the importance of being able to see and discern patterns mm -hmm. because it's the patterns that give us clues about what might come, come next in an right. emergent world right? And, or in a world where lots of things are emerging. And, and that's not a skill that we, I think, have spent a lot of time, that our culture in general has spent a lot of time helping its members develop. That right, sort of, you know, right. what what's the pattern I see here? What's so we have? I think we, the psychologists, have taken us a little bit along the way of discerning, sort of human behavioral patterns, you know, particularly dysfunctional ones. <laughs> um, but in terms of large group or organizational patterns, I think we are less. Um, we are less adept mm -hmm. and and some folks have tried you know the Cameron and and Quinn uh, competing values framework mm -hmm. is one way of sort of looking at patterns of culture and organizations Schneider has another way of doing that still a four quadrant kind of here's some patterns we see in organizational culture um, we I'm noticing more now that I've got the lens to see it through, I am noticing more and more the way fractal patterns show up in organizations uh, where behaviors that are modeled at the top get replicated all down through the organization. And, and in software, there's a, a pattern called Conway's Law, which says the software systems tend to mimic the larger organizational systems, which is kind of interesting as well. So if you have a highly uh, inter, interdependent and intertwined and, and bureaucratic uh, organizational system, you're probably going to have a big mess of spaghetti code <laughs> over time is what's going to be built. So, well, um, except you, I, you use two words there that, yeah. that aren't necessarily, in my mind, that don't necessarily go together. Yeah. So maybe you can explain that. Um, interdependent. Right. Normally, I would see as a good thing. Right. Bureaucratic might not be so much. Right. So, so why why did you put those words together? I guess what I meant more than the kind of healthy interdependence that you and I talk about about mm -hmm. the recognition of how we're kind of all in the boat together and yeah. we've got to work things out. What I was thinking of is um, the maybe the. Um, What's the right word? The uh, the way that large bureaucratic organizations can be kind of uh, siloed, but yet all sort of colluding uh, on this uh, on one way of doing things that that has to do with splitting things up along lines that don't really make sense and um, 
uh, and or uh, the kind of political enmeshment that often happens in those kinds of organizations where everyone agrees, for instance, that we never say, we never deliver bad news. Mm-hmm. Um, even, okay, so, yeah, so you, that so I was you meant more the enmeshment. The enmeshment kind of, right, of more that, enmeshment than interdependence. Right, yeah, okay. Yeah, that, exactly. That's helpful yeah. because otherwise I was, mm-hmm. okay, mm-hmm. all right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, so what, you know, it's, I think that's that's a piece of it, the the whole thing about how do we, if, if we are looking through this lens of um, what the human systems dynamics folks would call dynamical change or mm-hmm. emergent change or complex change as mm-hmm. opposed to the kind of planned change that we've been used to incrementally changing. Um, It might, you know, so one thing about that is learning to see patterns better. Um, and, and that has to do with the patterns of um, the interactions between what kinds of, um, what kinds of groupings are we looking at? What kinds of, um, ways of coming together i mean the 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 idea of the container whether it's a physical container or an organizational organization chart container or a uh container of professionalism whatever that might be a thing that holds people together the the differences that exist in the organization um, differences in thinking, differences in background, differences in goals, all those various kinds of differences. And then the way that we manage the exchanges that go on. Um, there are patterns between and among and across all those three uh, ways of viewing uh, an organization, uh, a group of people who are trying to get something done. So let's let's back up for a minute because I think you're using terms that Mm -hmm. many people listening to this won't be familiar with. So let's let's be a bit more didactic for the moment and and just give people some grounding in those terms. Right. Um so if we go back to the kinds of languaging that 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 Glenda uses, um and we should say that Glenda has drawn her way of thinking about change from complexity theory in in many other fields. Right. So she um, she's looked at the work that people have done in the biological complexity stuff, um, the um, mathematics, mathematics, physics. right. Yeah. The, the hard sciences as well as right. um, behavioral sciences. Right. Yeah. And she's tried to say, what are the core principles here that I can distill from this right. that would be applicable to a way of looking at organizations and, and big systems made up of humans? Right. Um, and, and, she starts out by using 
um, some terms that refer to both the kind of change and, if you will, the elements mm -hmm. that one needs to look at to see how an organization is gets yeah. stuff done. Well, she calls them the, the conditions for, for self-organizing, the conditions for organizing. Right. It's easy. Okay. Yeah. So let's, let's just give a quick definition of static, dynamic, and dynamical. Yeah. And we don't like that term either, but nobody's <laughs> come up with a better one yet. So, yeah, right. so static change is, how would you describe that? I would describe that as um, change that can be accomplished in a, in a single step. So um, moving from one state to another right. state. Um, uh, we're, our, our workplace is set up as a cube farm. Um, we've decided to open it up and turn it into more of a bullpen structure. That could be done over a weekend. And if it's not associated with anything else, it's done. Right. And it's a static change. It's a one step. I mean, there may be some planning parts in there, but it's essentially, we want this, we get that. We get this. Right. Yeah. So that's analogous to water becoming ice, yeah. right? Yeah. Okay. So it went from a liquid state, solid state. Right. Okay. All right. With the application of a, a sort of a single thing, which is just cooling it down. Yeah. It's not, don't have to do a lot else to it. You just do one thing and it makes that change. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, dynamic change mm -hmm. is more of a um, step by step by step change. Right. Right? We know where we want to go. We, we know the change we want to accomplish. It's the, the traditional gap analysis. Mm -hmm. Here's where we are. Here's our vision of what we, we want. And here are the steps we believe it's going to take to get us there. And we can plan those out. And it really is um, kind of the Cotter model. Exactly. Is, is one example of that. Where the you establish steps, or an, nine steps. Yeah, right. And there are many of those. But it's... It, um, leadership development follows that kind of developmental. We've got a person here. We believe they have high potential. We want, you know, our vision for them is that they are a, a highly functional, uh, effective executive. We believe that if we take them through these particular um, uh, job experiences and training programs and, and we find them the right mentor and we take them through this process that we will get what we want in the end. From mm -hmm. this person. That's dynamic change. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. And dynamical is much more emergent. Yeah. So if one were to think about an organizational um, intervention that you could describe as emergent, what comes to my mind um, would be something like... Um, well, one example would be something like the kinds of events that we were involved in uh, where we had um, large numbers of people come together and mm -hmm. look at kind of um, I'm the 
Marvin Weisbord, why can't I think of the name? Future of, Search. Future Search. Yeah. That was a very good example, I think, of a of a of an emergent process. Yeah. yeah. Um, no and, idea of what the out not not a predetermined idea of the outcome, just that people would make their lives better. Right. As a result. And the, and a belief that if we got the right people in the room yeah. talking to each other in mm-hmm. um, in open and healthy way, right. that they would make choices that would be life-affirming and healthy for them. Right. Um, and what we found out is that, <laughs> at least in some cases, right. um, leaders didn't like that because right. it wasn't predictable. Right. And you couldn't know that, for sure where people would want to put their energy and their future effort. Right. We didn't necessarily um, track with a leader's agenda. Right. Um, so dynamical change, while it has the potential to be very rich and very exciting. And very much better suited to the volatile, uncertain, complex, and ambiguous world we live in. Right. Yeah. It, it is also an understandably more anxiety-provoking and more dangerous right. in the view of many people who want a more predictable yeah. kind of set yeah. of outcomes. Right. 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 Okay. So that, that's one set of terminology. Yeah. The other set... So that is static, dynamic, and dynamical. Right. Different kinds of change. Yes. The other set of terms that we were beginning to allude to were the three around the, the conditions in mm-hmm. an organization that are ways to look at what what's going on and those three were um, containers exchanges containers differences, differences and exchanges yeah um, CDE right. and containers as you said could be either physical container it could be the people in this room the people on this team um, it could be the people who are uh, all of the professional staff, all of the management staff, those would be different cuts or different containers within which people identify themselves as part of the group. Right. Yeah, they could be identity containers, they Mm -hmm. could be physical containers. Right. Okay. Differences are... Clearly, just that the diversity, the, the diversity that exists in all of its breadth. Yeah, age, sex, training, um, physical ability, race, um, previous experience. Right. Yeah. All of those. All of those. Okay. And then there are, of course, the differences that make a difference, right. and then the differences that don't. Yeah. Um, and then exchanges. Exchanges are all the ways in which people. Communicate, have contact, share, pass information. Transactions, interactions. Yeah. Right. Okay. So, given that grounding Mm -hmm. and the idea of patterns Mm -hmm. and fractals, fractals being a tiny but perfectly reproducible... um, I'm trying to think of the right word. It element 
that if you see a fractal, you can see at higher and higher or bigger and bigger well, one levels in an organization. One example of that is the saying, the macro is in the micro. Right. You know, how we see people behaving in a team meeting probably reflects how, you know, making decisions in a team meeting. There's a good chance that that reflects how decisions get made on a larger scale in that organization. It's fractal. It, one, one is a reflection of the other. Um, and, you know, that's, that, well, that's just one example of a fractal. Yeah. You know, the, that, that reminds me that whenever I see that expression where sometimes someone is describing another person where they say, you know, um, he loved humanity, but it was individual people he had trouble with. That right. always puzzles me a little bit yeah. um, because it actually goes right against that notion of fractals. Yeah. Um, and somehow, sometime I need to unpack that one a little bit more. Yeah. 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 So, um, so seeing the pat, you know, the patterns that exist, um, like actually Glenda and, uh, uh, another woman who's very involved in the Human Systems Dynamics Institute, Royce Holiday, have a book coming out later this year called Adaptive Action. And that book um, and, and that model, um, which, which they've been talking about for a few years, is very much geared toward how do you have a, a way of looking at this kind of dynamical change that uh, helps you not feel so crazy, help, helps you not feel like everything is just completely up for grabs. How can you know how to navigate through that, and um, in a in a in a way that that allows you to make wise decisions? How to proceed when conditions are so up in the air? And um, I particularly like it because it it um, is a in some ways I believe fractal with the. Uh, flexible flame framework for retrospectives that Esther and I talk about in the Agile Retrospectives book. And so it really has, that has to do with understanding as much as possible what are the conditions, differences, and exchanges that exist in a, in a particular setting or a, around a particular issue, getting very clear about that, and they call that the what, and then looking for the patterns that exists there uh, between and among those those conditions and making meaning of those patterns. What 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 does that tell us? What insights does it give us? What implications does that bring along? Maybe part of it identifying what differences do make a difference, that kind of stuff, is is what they call the so what. And then then the next, the last piece is the decision about, so what does that tell us about what we want to do? And they call that the now what? And doing that in an iterative way is um, doing that over and over again in uh, what another, they call the loopy, di- is also affectionately known as a loopy diagram, going it around and around and around. Um, 
making choices about the the steps, each step along the way as each now what comes along and as that creates a new what, a new con- new set of conditions. Um, that that's a way of dealing with that kind of dynamical change, that kind of highly complex VUCA world that allows us to say, we do have a plan. We do have a plan for adjusting this. We just don't know what specifically all the steps are, but we know how we're going to approach it. And we know that we, we can bring the right people together in a room so that we can make a good decision about given what all of us know, what do we think is the right next step to take? And then what, how will we measure that? How will we look at that when we, um, at, at what, what shifts that makes on our road to whatever change it is we're trying to accomplish? And it helps us also, I think, to be not too specific about what kind of change we want to make because things can go... So let's, let's off pattern pretty fast. Right. Yeah. So so let's let's look at um, how how somebody would apply that in yeah. real life. Right. So um, the issue of gun control mm-hmm. is on a lot of people's minds these mm-hmm. days because of all of the mass shootings that have happened. I was just mm-hmm. listening on the radio to um, to a, an update about. You know what what's going on in yeah. this state legislature, legislature, and that mm-hmm. one, and whatever. And I was thinking, if I were a leader, mm-hmm. a, a politician, mm-hmm. let's yeah. say a senator, you know, and, and and in a leadership role, and I had to come up now with some thinking about what should or shouldn't happen with respect to gun control. Mm-hmm. How would I go about using these principles and make that kind of a decision? Mm-hmm. Maybe we can just sort of talk that through and see if that's a way we could yeah. make sense of, out of this. Well, I think what it reminds me of is the story that David Cooperwriter told when we were in um, with him talking about appreciative inquiry, where he said he was invited into an organization that was having a lot of... Um, harassment complaints and so on and they said you know please help us with our um uh please please help us reduce sexual harassment in our organization and he said i have less interest in that than i have in creating health healthy cross-gender relationships working relationships right. right and so for me at one level even saying gun control is kind of missing the point. Mm-hmm. It's it's that I I think it's looking at the problems differently. It's like what is it we want to create here? We want to create a safe society. Yeah, I was aware of that when I said <laughs> yeah. it, and I and you're right. right. You're yeah. absolutely right. right. And it might be that if we did a what so what an analysis, that we would say, well, the first step toward creating a healthy society will be doing something about these guns. But it also might be that after doing that analysis, we would discover that it's about dealing with the mentally ill, or as a or even before that, not e- it, about how to prevent 
mental illness in the first place Prevent and or early interventions, early treatments. Yeah. Right. Well, and there was an article this weekend that, that I read um, uh, that said, you know, that maybe the issue isn't even that. Maybe it's how are we raising our children? Right. You know, where... Where is the right place? But the only way to know which of those things to start the first intervention on is to do a really thorough what and so what analysis of what are the conditions that are that are currently present that are contributing mm -hmm, mm -hmm. to us feeling unsafe. I mean, for long before the most current outbreak of shootings and, and so on, as in my travels around the world, I've noticed that um, when I, as I carry my American culture with me, which I can't, I, I can't help but do that. Um, I noticed that part of that means being more fearful, just in general, than the people that I'm dealing with in other places. You know, that I'm aware of different kinds of threats and risks and, mm. you know, that somehow that has been acculturated in me. Mm -hmm. And so part of the American culture right now is how we think about fear and how, how we are so fearful in, in many ways. Mm -hmm. Fearful that our children are going to be snatched. Fearful that somebody's going to come and shoot us at the mall. Fearful. I mean, we're just all, we're so aware, hyper right. aware right. of all these things. And it's not that people in other places don't have an awareness that bad things can happen. But they have a different a different way of thinking about it. Maybe it's more fatalistic. Maybe it's more, but they don't let it kind of run their lives in the way that, you know, well, let's put metal detectors in schools starts doing. Yeah, and let's know. have let's have alarm systems in every home. And right, blah, blah, exactly. Blah. Mm -hmm. So, um, so I know this is kind of taking us off track of where we were going, but, but I, I do think that whatever issue, what one of the things that the HSD approach tells us is that whatever issue you're dealing with, you really kind of have to be very careful about where you start with it, what, because that dictates what conditions, differences, and exchanges you look at, the the level that you choose to intervene, and and that brings up another um, model from HSD, which is the idea of there's a whole system, but every whole system has a part, has parts, and every whole system exists in a greater whole. And that's fractal. <laughs> that goes on and on and right. on. And so part of the choice is which whole system are we going to begin by looking at? Mm -hmm. And maybe there are some folks in Congress who want to begin to look at the system of how guns are uh, distributed and regulated in the U.S. Maybe there are some other folks who the whole that they're going to look at is how the mentally ill, um, how, how mental illness is um, recognized and prevented or, or whatever and, and, and dealt with in the U.S. Um, maybe some another group is going to look at um, how do we create a society where we really do feel free and less fearful. Mm -hmm. um, 
But somehow or another, there also has to be an exchange among those groups um, as they go along. But each one can pick uh, a system that they want to examine and then begin that process, that what, so what, now what process of how do we move down the road. It's completely antithetical to how our government has worked before. <laughs> right, right. So, um, oh, if only yeah. they would do that, yeah. there might be some hope that right, right. they would then arrive right. at a viable right. solution. So in some ways, I think um, it might be easier to take on uh, a different example, which uh, might be in my organization, uh, we've been working as a group of individual contributors. Um, we work with a lot of information. We are all very, uh, a lot of our work depends on um, how we think about the information that we're managing. What is, how do we determine the best way to organize ourselves? Now you and I know that a lot of organizations that we have encountered in the past when they're faced with that problem how do we the information flow and stuff have chosen to move to a team-based structure right. instead of an individual contributor structure right um, in many ways the ways that you and I have worked with organizations to 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 address that issue though has been you know you determine people in your organization you get together and you determine what are the what are the right teams how you know mm -hmm. what handoffs are uh most problematic which ones do you want to you know uh minimize all that kind of stuff that's a very good place um some some issue like that i think is a very applicable place for these kinds of hsd models to mm -hmm. be to be applied mm -hmm. Um, cause, cause it's not that we want to move to teams, just like in, you know, with a lot of the people I work with, it's not just that we want to move to agile. What we're really work looking at is how do we do our work better, right? How do we design the flow of our work, the structure of our work, um, better so that we, uh, feel good about the work we do well, and yeah. we and we satisfy our customers in a and better that was way. always a dilemma yeah. you know trying to when when the team stuff was kind of all the rage right. pe lots of people wanted to just go to teams right because they thought well if you have teams you know your yeah. problems are solved without realizing that no teams were a way to solve X kind of a problem, and right. that was the real issue, um, right. and that. But there might be other ways in yeah. certain situations that wasn't the best solution. That's right. That's right. So, um, yeah. Well, of course, people right. it's are like always that, looking for a short, yeah. shortcut well, answer. The 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 time that somebody came to came to me um, and said, he a manager came to me and said, "I really want you to do team building with my people." Yeah. And it turned out the team that he was trying to create was a team of uh, cable TV installers <laughs> who never worked together at all. They right. were a group of people who all had the same job, but they right. never worked as part as a team. Right. If they were teaming at all, it was with the dispatchers. It wasn't with each other.
And it, that was that same kind of just slap us, you know, I'm, not, I'm having problems here, so let's just slap a solution on this, which is we'll make them a team. Right. Rather than really looking at the nature of the problem. Right. And, um, you know, picking the solution before you really understand the problem. Well, yeah, that was also the classic right. when people just wanted training. Yeah. I yeah, mean, give us training. Give us training. That'll that will be it. the solution. Yeah. Right. So, you know, what we're saying is that the world is more complex than that. Those kinds of simple looking at complex problems simplistically through, does not through, yes through, through a, like a dynamic lens through a dynamic lens does not or a static lens. I they're individual contributors. They each have their own truck. I want them to be a team. Well, and that we, was we intended would hope to be. Most people are past <laughs> yeah, that. We would but. hope, um, but. Yeah, looking at it through that static or dynamic lens does not serve as well as thinking about things in a in a, a more complex way, which actually, if you think about the adaptive action model, the what, so what, now what, means taking very small, very simple steps along the way, not letting things get too big and complex or complicated until you, you know see, what's right, happened. Right, right, right. And um, and there's there's a, therein lies the paradox. Yeah. Simple but not simplistic. Right. No. So maybe next time we'll talk a little bit more about that and about some of the other um, HSD uh, tools and techniques. Oh yeah, I'd love to do that. And uh, we will have a link at the end of this podcast to the HSD Institute and the wiki where the HSD mm -hmm. models right. and methods are online for people who are interested in that. And I think we're also, um, we'd love to hear from you, our listeners, about the kind of changes that you're encountering in your organization and how your view of change is changing and what you're learning from that and to have a conversation with you about the nature of change. Please leave your comments on our blog or email us leadershippodcast at gmail.com This has been episode 7 of season 2 of Partnerships and Possibilities. Thanks for listening.